Hey everybody, Bob Olson here with Afterlife TV. You can find us at afterlifetv.com. This is where we search for evidence of life after death and answer the meaningful questions you have around that subject. Today's episode is sponsored by bestpsychicdirectory.com. Best Psychic Directory has over 800 psychics and mediums and animal communicators and even energy healers right there. You can read public reviews by people who have had sessions or readings with them which is my favorite part, I think, is extra special to be able to read all these reviews about them and help you to make your selection. Each person was screened and approved by me, so do check out bestpsychicdirectory.com. I am very excited about today's episode because, well, I just considered it a special episode. It's one that I recorded a few months ago with my nephew, Ryan. He was 13 years old at the time. He had just read The Magic Mala, my new book that just came out May 3rd. And I wanted to know if he could understand it as a 13-year-old. Now, if you feel like you're having deja vu, it's just because I happened to mention this last week in the last episode. And I told people where they could find it on my author website. And a few people did, and those people who did actually absolutely raved about this interview with Ryan, and a few other people couldn't find it. They had a little difficulty with it. So because some people wanted to listen to it and couldn't find it, and others who did listen to it loved it and raved about it, I thought, I should just play this as an, uh, an official episode, really, put it out there as an official episode so that everyone can hear it. I think it's that special. Now, this is what I call a teaching book. If you're familiar with The Alchemist, The Celestine Prophecy, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, those are teaching books. They are fictional stories that are written with the intention of being able to teach certain concepts. And that's what the magic mala is. Within the fictional story, you will learn uh, everything that I have learned about life while investigating life after death. So over the past 18 years, I have been investigating the afterlife. I've talked enormously about what I learned about the afterlife in those investigations. These teachings within the Magic Mala are, are everything that I learned about life. They run the gamut. There's a lot of different things that are being taught in this book. Mostly, it's about conscious creation. So if you recognize that in the afterlife, we merely need to think of what it is that we want to create, and boom, it's instantly there. We can do the same thing here, except we live in the dense physical world. Everything happens a, a little less instantly, but in the same way. Everything that we think about, everything that we say, we're constantly communicating to the universe, whether that be in the positive or the negative. What this book does in its very essence is teach us how to use our thoughts and our words and our actions properly so that we're not creating the life we don't desire and we are creating the life we do desire. So I had my nephew Ryan in the studio here with me because he has an interest to be a sports broadcaster. He has been interested in this for a few years and he actually practices it and has become very good at it. And the way he does this is his younger brother plays hockey, and his father is the coach of uh, a high school hockey team. So Ryan goes to all the games, his father's games, his brother's games, and he records them 
with his video camera, and as he's recording them, he calls the game, just as a sports broadcaster would. He then puts these games up on his channel on YouTube so that anybody can listen to them and watch them, and specifically so that the hockey players and their families and friends who are not able to attend the games are able to then go onto this channel and watch them later. Anyways, it's pretty amazing. I'll put a link to Ryan's YouTube channel and you can watch some of the games there and, and just, just get a sense of him calling the games. It's kind of amazing when you recognize that this is a 13-year-old doing it. You're going to feel the same way when you listen to this interview. Just keep in mind that when Ryan interviewed me, we were playing around in, our, in the studio and I just happened to say, hey, you want to interview me about the book? He did not have any time to plan or even think about it. He certainly didn't have any questions written down. And, and this is what ensued. I think you're really going to enjoy it. I think you'll be impressed by him. I think you'll enjoy the interview itself because he's a great interviewer and he came up with amazing questions. So I look forward to you listening to it. So here it is. Enjoy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to Surprise Topic. Today, we sit down with author Bob Olson, talk about his new book, Magic Mala. Bob, thanks for being here. Uh, Ryan, I really appreciate you having me. This is a great honor. All right, Bob, I want to start out with an interesting question to start it off. I know this isn't your basic book question. While reading your book, your main character, Robbie, is sitting down with Matt. And over the course of the book, Matt that never uses Robbie's name in context. He just uses all these different, you know, little childish nicknames to describe him. I, I was very impressed. How did you come up with all these different nicknames? Well, uh, that's a great question. That's a very surprising question. <laughs> I actually was using names that... Um, that were in my head uh, through probably about half the book. And then eventually I started to run out of names. And so I did a search, you know, for something like names guys call each other. And then you'd be surprised what comes up. And, and, <laughs> and <laughs> not, a lot of them I couldn't use in yeah, the book. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Some of them reminded me of other names, you know, from my childhood or whatever yeah. growing up. But but that was sort of how I did it. And I tried to never use the same name twice just to keep it interesting and fun for me and for the reader. Now, do you think this relates to a lot of different boys, um, young boys for adolescence and up? Do you think they're called a lot of these names? Do you think this definitely is reality in the book? Well, you know, I think it's reality, you know, for, especially for their, for their age, you know, they're around 30 years old. And so for guys that age, that would have been something that they kind of grew up with. And it's certainly something I grew up with. You know, we didn't use as many names as Matt used for Robbie. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a lot. You yeah, can that probably was a make lot. a list of a hundred something names. There really was a lot. But a lot of them were names that, you know, me and my friends would call each other over the years. And I, and I chose, even when I ran out of names in my head, I chose names that I was familiar with. Familiar with. Yeah. 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 Um, we're going to switch to another scene. And I want to talk to you about the, I think it's Gregorian 
monk chants. Mm. I, w- I was very impressed with your knowledge of that. Now, can you describe to me how you were, how you learned of these monks and your, I guess, interest in that? Yeah, I mean, it's something that I had always enjoyed was listening to the the chanting of Gregorian monks, and it was something you know something that. I was aware of, for one, you know, I worked in the mind, body, spirit field for many years. So it's not that uncommon. Most people who are familiar with that kind of stuff, especially the spiritual field are familiar with it. But then I don't always trust my own memory of these kinds of things. So, so what I would do is after the writing, I don't mean when the book was done, but after the writing of that section, when yeah. I when I introduced that music, I went back online and just to make sure that my facts were correct. And in that case, I didn't find any errors. You you obviously were right in your your trust in yourself on that one. Sometimes a a publisher will hire of or have on staff a fact checker. Yeah, and they'll go and they'll do all that for you. And you know my. My feeling on that, I just, I wanted most of that work to be done ahead of time. And I didn't want to depend on a publisher doing that for me. Yeah. 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 All right. So we're going to go on a surprise topic here. Surprise topic. And and our name. We're going to go off track and we're going to go in a little sports world here. Oh. And it's kind of a borderline. Yeah. You think about the Rio Olympics. Do you think more about the excitement of the sports coming up? Or the tragedy in the how Rio's getting ready for it and the pollution and how they're not really doing so well with that. Well, you know, going along with the the theme of the book, that's uh, really the way I look, and and uh, you're, you're nodding, so you kind of half expected this. Um, that's my outlook on life: is that I try to look at the positive things in life, not not focus on the negative. And so, definitely, you know, I'm thinking about the excitement of the Olympics. And and, and, and what they stand for, yeah, the sport. Yeah, yeah. So you're de- you definitely classify yourself as a glass half full, not a glass half empty. Well, I, you know, I I don't know if that is what comes naturally to me, but I've trained myself to try to think in that way. And and you recommend? Do you recommend that type of life, the glass half full over the glass half empty? Definitely. Oh, definitely, it's worked better for me. And again, when I say I've I've lived both ways. And, you know, it's like I've heard, you know, there's an old saying, I don't remember who said it, you know, I've been poor and I've been rich and rich is better. Yeah. Uh, same thing. You know, I've, th- I've thought glass is half full. I've thought glass is half empty. Glass is half full is better. Yeah, your book focus on, focuses on that a lot in the intention part of it. You want to in, be intent on the glass half full, being positive, those positive thoughts through your head instead of that negative bit of it. Yeah. And it's amazing how that really works. You know, I've, I've tested it. I've had more opportunity to test it uh, over the last 10 or 15 years where I, you know, was becoming more and more aware of it and how it affected my life. And one of the great things about the internet is that we're reaching people worldwide and the possibilities are endless in terms of who you can reach and, and connect with. There was a time once where uh, I had something on a website that uh, I was thinking about rewriting on one of the websites that I had. I was thinking about rewriting because I thought that someone might misinterpret 
what it was that I wrote. So I, I kind of got a little bit obsessed about it, but in these terms, I'm worrying about something that might happen that had never happened before. And this website had been up with this copy for years. It had never happened. All of a sudden, for some reason, I got worried about it. And I started talking to my friends about it. Well, one night, we were all hanging out together, and there was three of them. I was trying to convince them of why this was uh, an issue to worry about. And they were doing the opposite. They were taking the opposite side of, you don't need to worry about this. And sure enough, the next morning, I got an email from a woman who was very upset because she had misinterpreted what it was that I wrote and she was upset with me. So after years of nobody ever noticing the very next morning, and that was because of the energy that I put into it. And this has happened, these kinds of things have happened to me both in, in the positive and the negative over the years. So I've been able to test these things out for myself. And and you mentioned the internet. Do you think that this, what you're selling really in this book, your your hardcore thoughts about the intent on positive and doing that, do you think that because of the internet, the almost feel of this is beginning to is beginning to grow out and become from a seedling more of to um, growing into that big tree of thought? You know, I do. I think, you know, the internet has brought the world together. It's made the world a smaller place. Uh, everything's happening faster as a result of that. We can reach more people. We can reach them faster. If you ever, you you don't remember, but it, there was a time where if I wanted to send somebody a note, I'd have to write them a letter yeah. and mail it. And who knew how long it was going to take? I mean, it doesn't even today. Mail is faster than it used to be. Oh so yeah. A week later, maybe they get the get the the letter and read it. Now we can do that in, within seconds. You know, the second you finish it, you can email it or text it, and they could be reading it. You know, depending on if they're available or not. Well, when you think of how if you have an audience, you know, like I have an I have a what they call a platform. I have an audience of. You can call them fans, but just, you know, I I think of them as people who are interested in the work that I'm doing. Now I can put out a message and I know thousands of people are going to read that very quickly. Thanks to social media, just thanks to people who are aware of the, my websites and stuff. So based on that, everything is happening so much more quickly that yes, all, all the things that this book is teaching have more intensity, more power for today than, than any time in the past. Yes, instead of, you know, for for these ideas that you're saying, um, which I completely agree with and I, I love in the book, those ideas, do you think that, you know, they would they would have to be passed along trade routes? You know, we, we learn about that a lot in school where these old trade routes through Africa, they bring gold and ideas. And now these the social media platforms, there are new trade routes for ideas and really they, they, they do a good job and they can be used for bad things, but do you think more the good things? Well, I think the potential can go either way, but I'm more aware of the good ones, Yeah, but you know, I know there's a lot of bad out there, but I don't focus on those. So I think, uh, I think there's a lot more than I'm even aware of. But yes, again, if you choose what you want to focus on, then 
that's a great way of looking at it. I never really thought of it that way, but you know, in, in the way, way past, <laughs> if you want <laughs> for lack of a better term, um, long ago, many moons ago. Yeah. I mean, this is the way people used to share things as they would tell stories. And, and that's what this is. This is they're te I'm teaching through telling a story. That's, that's what was done many, many years ago. And now, as you say, we have social media interest. I just never thought of that metaphor. That's a good one. Well, do, do you think we're running out of that in a way? We're running out of the real life texture books. Do you think we're running out of that at all? Is that a worry in your mind? Uh, no, I, I don't think we're ever going to run out of it because I know there's people who love uh, books just just they love the feel of a book. Me included. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and me too. And I, you know, I, I think 10 years ago, I think I probably wondered about that. And then I realized I, I also was one of those people who just loves, you know, a hardcover, you know, paperback, it doesn't matter. But I, I love to hold, you know, that paper in my hand and turn those pages. There's just something about it. So it's more of a multi-sensory experience that maybe some people aren't even recognizing that's why they like it. You know, there's some books that come through that have a certain kind of paper yeah. that I absolutely love, <laughs> you know, and I really yeah. love that. It's sort of almost, it looks like this, um, I love the books that sort of on the, the far edge, it almost looks like it's been torn. Oh, yes. Yes. I have a few of those. Books. Don't you? Yeah. Yes. And, and, and it gives this the whole thing. The, the pages seem kind of thick uh, and it just has this very old look to it, even though it's yeah. it's brand new. Yeah. Something about that that I just really enjoy. I, I don't get that from digital copies. It's even better when you dye, they dye the paper like a little bit like rustic color. Yes, I, and they do that, right? Yeah, and, and it changes it changes the experience for the reader who enjoys those sorts of things. And I think there's a lot of people out there who do. So you've talked about everything, really, from books to how they feel in your hand to the context within them. I want to turn to a marketing standpoint now. Sure. What audience are you appealing to with your new book? Wow, this is uh, a big change for me. So you know, but prior to this. I had a very sort of niche focused audience and, and it was a smaller segment of society. This book is something that I think will appear, appeal to anybody who's looking to change their life in some way. So anybody who is uh, uh, dissatisfied, unhappy with the way their life is going and they're wondering how they can change that, I think would be interested in this book. You know, I, I wanted you to read it because I was curious about, I mean, you're very mature and very smart for your age, but I still was interested in how a younger person would be able to understand these concepts and, and enjoy the story as well as the teachings. I thought, oh, maybe he'll enjoy the story, but not grasp hold of the teachings. And obviously that's not, that's no. not true. So. <laughs> So I, I'm excited to know that it reaches a, a wide range of ages as well as just, you know, pretty much anybody, I guess. So they have in classrooms that once you read a book, you say, give a recommendation. We have to do that at the end of our book talks when we do that in class. Oh. You give a recommendation, give a star rating. So if you were to give a recommendation, that's what you would give it to? give it to anyone and the, especially the people that are struggling um, to grasp what's wrong in their life. I think so. You know, it's interesting because 
I've learned over and over that it's impossible for me to determine whether I think somebody is going to like Interesting. a book or a movie, but certainly my books. You know, my first book was about depression. My second book was about the afterlife. And now we have this book. And we'll just take the afterlife book. I would come up with a story in my head as to why I didn't think somebody would be interested in that. And then I wouldn't tell them about it. Hmm. Well, I'll use, I'll use an example. <laughs> my car salesman, okay, his name's Chris. Love Chris. He's been a car salesman all his life. Uh, you know, he has the sort of vernacular and you know, mannerisms of this sort of uh, football player, you know, kind of guy. And I always imagined, you know, if he and I went out for a coffee or a beer or something that he would want to talk sports kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Well, um, one day we were out looking at a car and we were walking back to his desk and he said, Hey, you know, I watch Afterlife TV. I've watched all your videos, right? Interesting. Yeah. And <laughs> there's no way I saw, you know, I almost fell over. You know, I mean, it was just like. Awestruck. Uh, uh, yeah, totally. And and he's he's been amazing. I mean, he's he's got his sister, I, his children, uh, all reading that book. And and so be, he's like this amazing, not just a fan, but a uh, you know, follower, supporter, supporter, right. You know, somebody who is now recommending to other people. And so I never mentioned the, the book or even the show that I do online to him because I sort of thought, oh, he'll never be interested in that. And, and so I was wrong. And I, I've made that mistake so many times that I can't do it any, anymore. And where this one, this new book, The Magic Mala, reaches so many different people, uh, I'd really... It, you know, it would be wrong for me to do that anymore. Yeah. You th so do you think that in this day and age, people are more open to these, not just these topics, but um, topics that, you know, they may not look like they'd be interested in, in the, in the flesh? I think so. Y you do. Because back in the day, you know how people would be very un unaccepting to topics that are unknown to them. Yeah. You know, um, I know a story, I learned this in sailing class actually, where the first first person to invent upwind sailing was uh, burned at the stake mm. <laughs> because it was a new idea. And you would use the uh, sail only for downward sailing and not for upwind sailing. And the first person to realize that was killed for his ideas and then a hundred something years later look what they're doing wow that's very true you know certainly that's very true for a lot of the people who used to teach some of the things that that i've talked about uh over the past 18 years that i've worked in this field we all know the stories of the witches of salem and that sort of thing it wasn't even people who were teaching, obviously. I mean, your exam, you're, you're the extreme example that you just gave. <laughs> um, you know, they were teaching all sorts of different things. And I really recognize it with the new generations. 
uh, all the way up to people who are in their 20s, even 30s. The people in their 30s sort of in the, you know, I, you never know. Crossroads. Yeah, they're right in the middle there. But they, you know, what do they call them? The the, the new millennials? The millennials. Yeah. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. So open to all this stuff as though it's just completely a household word to talk about, let's say, a medium. You yeah. Know, right? And thanks to TV. You know, TV has been a big part of this. You know, we've had a lot of shows on that introduce people to new ideas so that so that they're not so foreign to them anymore. When you see, I'll use mediums again as an example, but it, you know, when you see five or six shows with different mediums on there, after a while, you're just so familiar with that now. Yeah, like talk shows, they bring in different L- lot of, different people, different scientists showing this, this, and the other thing. Yeah. Different theorists saying this, this, and the other thing, and people, it, it, it changes That's how right. people think. Quantum physics, you know, was a great crossover that sort of brought, you know, I talk about in the book, it's sort of where science and spirituality meet. Yeah. And it is what this book is talking about. And mm-hmm. quantum physics is the science part of it. They've proven all these things. Yeah. But, you know, if you're a big skeptic, even that science, you're not going to want to look at and, and you're going to discard. Mm. And But people who are open-minded, and that's what it's all about, you know, it helps to be open-minded or we close ourselves off. And I and I think the main character in this book uh, learned that lesson that yes. he, he was too closed-minded. So nobody even talked to him about this stuff. And do you think that that movement to open-mindedness, do you think not only Robbie resembling this in the book, do you think that relates to other people's movements towards open-mindedness as well? Here's something that I learned when I wrote my first book, which was on depression. Uh, Melissa and I used to go out and we'd talk to uh, support groups and stuff like that. We'd go to uh, mental health hospitals and, and do talks. and and afterwards, a lot of, there was family members there as well as patients, but a lot of people would come up to us and talk to us privately and say, nobody knows this, but I'm taking an antidepressant or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. I've been diagnosed with depression and, and, and this is very common. This happens all, all the time, no matter really what the subject matter is. Even when I was talking about the afterlife, we'd have people come up and say, yeah. I don't get to talk to anybody else about this, but I'm very interested in this subject. So this has been going on for so many years that people are, are finally realizing we need to be more open-minded about things. We don't have to believe in everything. It's just no. be open-minded to, the, to, to new possibilities and recognize we don't know it all. And I, and I think we have gone from a time where people needed safety and security and they look to others to tell them, you know, what to believe because that would make them safe to, I don't need that anymore. And I'm going to learn to think for myself. And we have a lot of people who say they're uh, spiritual, but not religious. Yes. And the religion, I think religion is a great place uh, to, to be. And it's wonderful. But one, one of the things is that is one of those places that you would go if you need somebody to tell you, this is what you need to believe. And those people who still, I mean, there's still people out there who I want to feel safe, so tell me what to believe, and I'll believe that, and I'll feel safe. To then those people who go, this is a great foundation for me, but I need to think for myself, too. And so by doing that, I'm going to look into all other 
types of religions or beliefs or what have you. And they do, and they kind of make up their own religion is what they yeah. end up doing. Yeah, the, the old saying, to each his own, yeah. also comes into that. Um, you talked about meditating in your book as well mm. and how the similarities between this and prayer. Where do you think the best spot is to meditate? Have you have any recommendations, I guess? You know, it's it's interesting. It's really a personal thing I've learned over over time. I've recognized that for myself, as much as I'd like to, and, and I'm hoping that someday I will be that person who is able to have a regular practice where I sit quietly in, and meditate sort of in the traditional sense, maybe listening to some quiet music or something in the background. But the meditation that's worked best for me over the years is one, uh, what I call guided meditation. And that's where I'm actually listening to a CD or an MP3 or something where somebody is sort of walking me through a story that I can visualize. And that story helps me to, to relax. There's a, there's a, there's a story in the book that that's very actually true in my life. When I was younger, just a little, just a little, I think around 15, uh, my father was an alcoholic and we went to uh, an AA meeting once. And then afterwards we met with his counselor mm-hmm. and like the whole family was there. And so she was asking people questions. And when she asked me a question, I just broke down crying. And so she recommended to my parents, you know, you should get him some, some counseling of his own. And so I went to a psychologist and the psychologist was helpful in helping me understand my father and helping me understand alcoholism. Mm. But one of the nicest things that I ever experienced with him was that he brought me through, he called it a relaxation technique. And it was, mm. it's just meditation. And it's one that I describe in the book where you relax your scalp you relax your ears and you relax your nose yeah. and you relax your chin and your neck and your shoulders and your yeah. arms and you go all the way yes. down to your toes. And by the time you get there, you're numb, you're, you're, numb, you're tingling, you're, you're vibrating. And, and then he sort of took me out of it and he, he could see the difference, how relaxed I was. And he, you know, I quote it in the book, it's true. He said, Wow. I've never used this por- this before. I, I didn't know it could work so well. And I huh. guarantee he worked used it with other patients after that. And yeah. I was in such a relaxed state that I went into this city parking lot. You know, it's like six floors of parking, you know, in the parking garage. And I just sat in this dank, disgusting, dark parking garage. And I just sat in my car because I didn't want that feeling to go away. And I knew mm-hmm. as soon as I got into the city traffic, it was going to. And I probably stayed there for 20 minutes to a half an hour, mm. just enjoying it. And so that's called guided meditation when somebody sort of walks you through something like that. And that's always what's worked for me. Now, I say that, but then I've learned as I've got older to have little moments of meditation. And so for me, using the mala is actually one of those moments that I have. And it takes me 10 or 15 minutes to go through my mala with a particular mantra. It's very relaxing to me to just mm-hmm. focus my mind on this one mantra, this one intention that I, that I want to create in my life. And for 10 or 15 minutes, maybe once or twice a day, 
that can be enough and it can be life-changing for me. And that's my meditation now. You've talked in your book about Father Burke. He and Dave really realized together the similarities between the religion and the spirituality and how, you you know, I, I said it, um, prayers and meditation, prayers and molly. Do you think people realize how similar those two things are? Because I know certainly I didn't before you really illustrated that to me. You know, it's, it's interesting. So when I wrote this book, I did something very different than I normally do. Normally I would outline the book and I would have this chapter, this chapter, and these things are going to happen in chapter one and these things are going to happen in chapter yep. two. I didn't do that. I just sat down and started writing and outpoured a book. That's how I like to write too. <laughs> it's so fun that way. It is. And it is. the only reason that it worked is because I wasn't really planning on showing it to anybody. The only reason I allowed myself, in other words, to do it was because I had no intention on anybody reading it. It was just for my own fun. Really what happened was my wife gave me a new keyboard. It was like an old typewriter and it felt like an old typewriter and it sounded like an old typewriter. And so again, sort of multi-sensory experience, I just wanted to use the keyboard. And so I decided to start writing a book. And when I did, this thing poured out. After a few days, I would wake up in the morning and go, I can't wait to see what's going to happen with the characters here. So I had no intention of what you just described, this teaching how you know, religion and spirituality are the same and, and, and where the crossover is and how nobody needs to be threatened by one or the other. You learned that yourself. I learned it myself. And, and so it came through. And, you know, when uh, Father Burke is talking to Robbie about uh, this is a great scene where they're in the chapel and, and Father Burke is talking yeah. to Robbie about how these two things meet, I guess, um, without giving anything away in the book. But uh, to me, you know, I even thought, wow, that's brilliant. Like, I couldn't believe how well <laughs> Father Burke taught this lesson to him. And, and in that way, I don't take credit for it. I feel as though... Yeah, you feel the characters and the upper... Yeah, I feel as though it's being taught through me, you know. You know, I always, you know, you could say channeling. I'm not trying to be weird about it. Just, you know, I, th I believe that many writers write that way. The book is already written and it's just coming through them. And they're the vessel that, you know, that puts it from an idea onto paper. And the reason, one of the reasons I think that's true is because all of a sudden you'll see like three movies come out around the same time and they're all about the same subject. Yeah. Like, how do you think that happens? Why, why does this happen so often? I believe that we talk about the universe. We call it the universe in the book. You call it God, whatever that it's putting out there. I, we want this message to get out there. We're going to put this out there and, and, and they put it out there so anybody can grab hold of it. And a few people do out of the millions of possible people who could, <laughs> and only a few people ever bring it into something where it, it goes into fruition and is actually seen or read or, or heard by other people. And so that's the way I feel with this book. And the teachings were impressive to me as well. And I say that because I'm not taking credit for it, but that, that that's the way it felt. And I, and I loved uh, how both Dave and Father Burke had this ability to sort of uh, take away the separation between spirituality and religion 
and bring them together and see how they both work in the same way. I, I just find it absolutely fascinating that what you said about the keyboard part of it and how almost now reading your book, I, I almost think that was a messenger to you. Would, would you would you agree with that? Oh, my God. I learned so much because of it. You know, my wife, Melissa, thinks that maybe I was a writer of some sort in, in a past life. And, and so just working with that keyboard brought me back this, yeah. this memory of how I maybe used to write. But there's no way I ever would, if I, if I had planned it, there's no way I ever would have just allowed myself to, to free write in this way. I, I, I didn't trust that the characters could be so rich and that something that happened in chapter two would be so significant in chapter 12 and, and then maybe, you know, the ending, you know, whatever it may, you know, things built upon themselves as they went along. And I don't think I could have done that on purpose if I wanted to. So there's, yeah, there's something magical going on with that keyboard. That's unbelievable. And the whole process. And I will, now I feel, now that I feel like I've done it once, I feel like I can do it again. So now I know what that feels like. It just kind of goes back to this theme in the book about you don't know what you don't know. And I didn't know how to do that. I did it by accident. Now I know how it feels. And I could write another book doing using the same process. That that's that that's that's definitely special. I that's I guess impressive, but it's changed my, I think it's changed my life, you know, to be able to write in a completely different way. And I always wanted to write fiction, but I was too in my head about it and I never could, never could get a book out. I'm, I'm a little awestruck by that. I'm not going that, to, that's, that's pretty cool. That's yeah. very cool. Well, uh, that you recognize, you know, the magic in that uh, is exciting to me. So I'm happy that you understand it and, and feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Well, Bob, I want to thank you for being here today. It's been it's been quite the conversation we've had together. Um, always a pleasure. Well, thank you so much. Uh, you're an incredible uh, interviewer. Uh, <laughs> I will do your show anytime, and uh, I'm very grateful to you. So thanks so much, Ryan. Thank you. All right, that's it for another Afterlife TV episode. I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. I want to thank Ryan for doing that incredible interview. I'm very grateful to you. I'd love to hear your feedback on Ryan's interview and his amazing abilities as an interviewer. I think anybody twice his age, that would have been an impressive interview. So welcome your feedback, all the regular places, Facebook, Twitter, afterlifetv.com, and YouTube, of course. You can find The Magic Mala on Amazon, both in Kindle and paperback. You can find it on Barnes & Noble, paperback, and Nook. You can also find it on iTunes, iBooks, and Kobo. Before we go, I want to thank the people who have left a review. Our reviews on Amazon are amazing. Bessie Gantz says, this book is so valuable to me. Since reading it, not a day goes by that I don't use or think of its principles and characters. This book has the potential to change your life depending on how far you take its ideas, but just reading it alone will give you plenty to think about and plenty of ways to pursue your life's goals in a more promising and fulfilling way. 
I highly recommend this book. I've read it three times and have picked up on additional ideas from it every time. I plan on rereading it every time I need a positive refresher on life. Thank you, Bessie, for that. Joyce Bowling says, I received my book this past Wednesday and I just can't seem to put it down. It's so empowering, empowering and full of great wisdom that can be applied to any and everything that anyone could ever imagine having in their life. It will be my life's manual now rather than just a fictional book. Thank you so much. And then we just have Amazon Reader. Not sure who that is, but I want to thank you too. I thoroughly enjoyed reading The Magic Mala. I just couldn't wait to turn the next page. I was engrossed in the book. This is a very inspiring and uplifting book. I plan on introducing this book to the book club I just joined, which is really cool to me. I also plan on buying the book for friends. Thank you so much. That's a that's the greatest compliment anybody can give an author. She goes on to say, or he goes on to say, for me to miss a Seinfeld episode, to want to read this book means that I really enjoyed reading it. Read it in no time, not wanting it to end. I highly recommend it. Thank you. Thank you to you and everybody else who have left reviews on Amazon. I'm grateful to you. I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad so many people are enjoying it and getting so much out of it. I know it's not just your average fictional story. There's a lot more to it than just that. So if you want to learn more about it, you can go to bobolson.com. All the links to all the different places you can buy it are there. Anyway, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And until next time, have a great week.